when the book came out, they were all arguing with each other. Which one am I? You based this one on me, didn't you? But sadly, I did not base it on any of them, even though they will not be told otherwise. I guess each of the characters' way represents part of me or part of every woman. So Mm. there's Mez, who's very dissatisfied with her body, despite having many other achievements. Like she's actually a very successful GP herself. Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis. I'm your host, and I'm the clinical nutritionist for Being Healthy. And I'm sure if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you're used to me exploring the realms of other professionals in our field, dietitians, psychologists, hypnotherapists. This is my first encounter with a best-selling author. So I'm so excited. I've got Lisa Island on the show today. I read Lisa's book, The Shape of Us, on my way to the US on a plane. And I can tell you I devoured the whole book in the one trip. And I didn't actually read too much into what the book was about when I picked it up, but I'm so glad I did. And without blowing the story, I think it's a great read for anyone who's interested in exploring the themes around body image, family, relationships, and, you know, I guess our internal conversation that women tend to have with our inner selves on a daily basis. Lisa Ireland is an Australian best-selling author of contemporary women's fiction and dual-timeline historical fiction. In 2014, Lisa was a finalist in the ARRA Awards in the category of Best New Author, and the following year was among the top 10 debut fiction authors in Australia. Lisa's seventh book has been released in February in 2023. And her new book is called The One and Only Dolly Jamison, and I think it's unmissable also. I think it's great to read Australian fiction, and not only that, I think it's great to read well-researched, beautifully written Australian fiction. So when Lisa's not writing, she spends her time mentoring, aspiring emerging authors, drinking coffee, and playing Minion to her incredibly spoiled dog, Lulu. So welcome to the show, Lisa Island. Thank you so much for your very precious time. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Jackie. It's great to be here. It's been a long time coming, but we've nailed it. So it's um it's one that I'm really excited to bring because it's a little bit different. Normally I'm talking to professionals and other patients who've had weight loss surgery. And I've stumbled across your book after reading Secret Life of Shirley Valentine. And then the next one we read was The Shape of Us. And I didn't even read the back of it. I just knew you wrote it and I loved the previous books. I was on the plane to America, actually. And I read the whole book in the time I was on that flight. I just couldn't put it down. And I didn't realize just how pertinent it was for our work, but also just the way you encapsulated 
women and relationship and how we feel about ourselves and how that affects how we operate in the world and all the decisions that we make that are based on our understanding of who we are and how we're presenting and all those other social pressures. And I think I've never read a book where I just thought it's just the most beautiful journey of friendship. And of course, really encapsulated the bariatric journey as well. Tell us a little about the inspiration behind the book. How did you come up with all of that? Well, I think, Jackie, when I started, I know it's a book about friendship, as you just said, and I wanted to write a book about friendship. It's something that I'm interested in, women's relationships with each other and friendship in particular. But at the time, I was really interested in online friendships and how close people can become or how much people will divulge to each other in an online setting, which I think how that came about was not in a weight loss forum, but in pregnancy loss forum. So way back in early 2000s, I had myself experienced multiple miscarriages and I was at the time new to the online world. I didn't know much about technology. I was a bit technophobic, but I was really motivated to find out some information about my situation because I wanted to have, it was my third child I was hoping to fall pregnant with and I kept having these miscarriages and I was at the end of the information that I could get from medical professionals that sort of no one had any explanations for me. It was just one of those things. And so I was drawn into the internet to see if I could do a bit of research myself to see if I could find out anything that could help my situation. And as part of that, I stumbled across a message board as they were in those days. It was even like pre-Facebook, I think. Mm. So pre-Facebook being a big thing. And I stumbled across this message board and it was really, really helpful. But the most helpful thing was the support that I got from the other women that we gave each other. And as part of that message board, I made friends with a beautiful woman called Becky. She lives in Minnesota. We're still friends to this day. And we have both gone on to have healthy babies since our meeting. So it was had a, a really happy ending. And she also adopted a child in the meantime. Oh, wow. So we went through this quite emotional journey together. And in that time, I was disclosing things to Becky, this woman who I had never met, never clapped eyes on, and who lived on the other side of the world. And yet she knew my most intimate secrets. And I kept thinking to myself, this would make a really good book. So I guess that was where the idea was born. But then I ended up setting it in the weight loss area just because it was something that I talked about a lot with my friends. And I thought it was something that many, many women would be able to relate to. And as I said, the focus was the friendship. So I thought that was a good setting to start off with. So that was where the inspiration came from. That's right. And I think I listen now because I work in this area and just listening to conversations with friends and women in the street and women in general. And I kind of listen for how long it takes for us to talk about our bodies or our weight or our appearance or we're aging. And we're very much, it's a point of connection, but it's also something that we're uncomfortable with in, in a lot of ways. So you're right. And I think it's like the secret code of women a lot of the time. And it starts from a really young age. And you look at the conversations we have about ourselves in front of young children and you know then where it all begins. So yeah, to me, I think that's quite fascinating. Looking at the characters in the book, they're all very different. And you say they have met in an online forum. So you're right, they get, they're there for the reason that they've hopped into the group or joined the program or whatever it is. But yeah, you're right, they come from all walks of life. Are any of them based on real life people? 
I think it's really interesting because yes and no, like all characters that writers write about some sort of basis in reality, otherwise the readers would never believe them. It's really funny because if you look in the beginning of the book, you'll see that I dedicated it to a group of women and they are women that I met in an online weight loss forum because everybody else I know, I have also had my own sort of weight loss journey in terms of putting on a bit of weight after I had children and wanting to lose that weight. And my own weight loss journey has been one where I've sort of yo-yoed between being quite thin and being quite overweight at times. And so I met these women in a weight loss forum. And then of course, by the time I think we were becoming friends, I think I'd already started the book or at least had the idea for the book. But when the book came out, they were all arguing with each other. Which one am I? You based this one on me, didn't you? But sadly, I did not base it on any of them, even though they would not be told otherwise. But I guess each of the characters way represents part of me or part of every woman. So there's Mez, who's very dissatisfied with her body, despite having many other achievements like she's actually a very successful GP herself so she's actually someone who is quite intelligent and has done well at school and has gone on to have a career in medicine and yet the biggest thing looming in her life is her dissatisfaction with her body so and I think that sort of represents me at times over the years that no matter what else I achieved there's always something that you're finding fault with in yourself. Jules I loved writing Jules she's a big larger than life character and she doesn't really want to lose weight she's perfectly happy with herself and she's in a wonderful relationship where she's very much loved by her husband and she's perfectly happy except that her weight is getting in the way of something that she wants, which is a baby. And so I guess Jules represents in a lot of ways in me, not more about being held back by life or by your circumstances and whatever they are. She's a big, larger than life character and she's kind of who I am on my best days, (laughs) Um, which is not that often, I suppose. I guess Kat is someone who is, she represents the hard times that we all go through and there's some resilience in there with her. And then Ellie is truly who I would like to be. Like Ellie is the woman who I strive to be in terms of who she is and makes peace with her body. And I think for me, if I could help someone out there come to terms with who they are and be at peace with their body, well, then I think my job as a writer is done. So, yeah, yeah. So, so not really, but they're representative of women's experience. That's so fascinating for me to hear, having read the book, like how an author pulls all of that in and it's like parts, but it's also making up the whole. It's really fascinating. And we've talked off air about how it's all done and how much work goes into research before writing something like that. The book explores different weight loss methods, including weight loss surgery. I can't fault it. And I was just saying to you, when I was reading, it was like, oh, it was the first time I've seen it presented, bariatric surgery presented in a novel. And knowing what I know all about it and how we've worked in this realm for so long, your research and your understanding of it from all aspects was really on point. I just thought it was amazing the way you actually 
I was reading it going, oh, God, I wonder how she found all of that out. Like obviously had access to someone from a medical perspective, but also you covered the effects on family and the relationships and the decision it is to begin with and how it's received when that decision is made. And that was quite interesting because it was like she put it in the group and then it was just like nobody really knew what to do with it. But then it kind of sparks things off. And I just think you're right. It's like I don't think no one arrives at that point of having or needing bariatric surgery to bring out a better health trajectory. You don't just go, I'm going to go and do that. You're at the end. You've yo-yoed. You've tried everything. You've read up. You've done your own research on how to lose weight. And it's like banging your head against the wall. I think you absolutely nailed that, the whole thing that becomes around it. It's like, how do I tell my family? And what are my family going to do with that? And then how will it affect my friendships and that sort of thing? How did you go about doing the research for that part of the book? It was extensive. And as far as the actual other weight loss things, take the bariatric surgery aside for a moment, I have done all of those things. (laughs) And I don't really think that there's many people I know unless they're naturally slender. And even then, many of my friends are quite slim women who dissatisfied with their bodies and they'll say, oh my goodness, look at this tire around my middle and I'm going to do this thing or doing keto or I'm doing so many people, whether they are obese, overweight or perfectly, I hate to use the word normal weight because what is normal, it's only what is normal for you, what is right for you. After I did the research, I probably hadn't thought about this much, but after I did the research, I would now, from my lay person's perspective, so I'm not a medical practitioner, but I would say that BMI is something that has been completely misused, in my opinion, over the years to give people, like it's not used, the person who, the scientists that actually came up with BMI, it was not you, it was not developed for the purpose that we use it for now. And he's actually quite horrified that it's used in that way. And so I guess what I'm trying to get out here is that there's more than one way to be healthy and that we don't have to be at a certain number on a scale to be Mm. healthy, in my opinion. All the weight loss things in the book are things that I have done myself. So I've been on the shakes and I've tried the keto and all of those things. Or I think one of the women, I can't remember which one it is, I think it might be Jules, at one point starts on like a pyramid selling shake type dietary thing. So in the I've had that happen that one. To, <laughs> I've had that happen to me with friends who are suddenly on the new regime and then they're telling you you have to do it too and it'll change your life. So I mean so those things I think people would find familiar. But when I was researching the book, I actually bariatric surgery wasn't going to be part of it. When I first started it was just the idea of the weight loss forum and that the people would meet. But then as I started to research weight loss methods, it kept coming up. And Mm. at first, I was quite dismissive, I'll be honest. I thought, oh, why on earth would anyone do that? And so I thought it was quite an extreme thing to do. So I started to research why people would do it. And my mind was completely changed by the end of the book. Once I really researched, I talked to a bariatric surgeon Mm -hmm. in Geelong. I talked to so many people who had surgery and I was invited into a bariatric forum to ask questions and so an online forum I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. And so literally by the end of it, I think I would have, without exaggerating, I think I would have actually read the stories of or spoken to 
dozens, if not over 100 bariatric patients, some more extensively than others. Some I did extensive interviews with. I had a couple of friends who'd had bariatric surgery, so I was able to access their stories. But I also scrolled through the internet and read hundreds of blogs, interviewed people, approached people online and asked them to tell me their stories. And so many similar things came up. And I think the primary thing that came up which we did talk about off the air before, was that so many people were experiencing negativity, either from medical professionals or from family and friends, when people didn't actually know the facts. So, yeah, so my mind was completely changed. And I think for some people, bariatric surgery is just a godsend and a really practical, healthy way to change their life. Yeah. And that's what we see is we also have on our website, Be an Inspirer. So it's like people telling their stories and it's not always a straight line from having bariatric surgery to where you want to be. So it's why they call it the journey, but it's never the same, but it's the same. It's like there are different things that may or may not happen along the way, but the essence of it is life-changing in a good way, but it's not always received by everybody else. They're not always happy for you. And then you have to deal with, is everyone happy for my success? Am I okay with success? So it's really exploring that mindset part of the journey as well. And I think we're doing that better now. Like I was at a conference last week in Cairns for ANSMOS, which is the Australian New Zealand Metabolic Obesity Society. And they have a dietitian's day, usually the first day. And this year they had dietitians and psychologists. And I think that's a real sign that we're heading in the right direction of inclusiveness and actually really giving the weight of the psychological component of being overweight, even going through the weight loss surgery journey. And how do we access those parts of us that we need to deal with to bring about long-term change and positive behavior change as well? And how do we deal with the changes in our relationships? Because we saw that in the book. It's very isolating, then it was quite connecting, and there's a whole range of different things. And how do we be okay with the decision that we've made for us when everyone else is judging with, like you say, very limited understanding of what the whole thing is about? A lot of the time, it's like, that's the easy way out. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if it's easy. But it's like, oh, you just had the weight loss surgery. That's why you're losing weight. It's like, it's the only way I'm going to lose weight because my whole chemistry is geared to actually just gain weight, whatever happens. And what I liked also about the most recent lot of conferences I've been to is the talk about how it is a chronic disease. So it's like, why are we not dealing? We deal with blood pressure, we deal with cancer, we put all this money and research into all these other things that are often an offshoot of obesity. But we're not necessarily looking at that whole, how did we get here and what can we do from that perspective? And that's coming. Even ANSMOS and the ASMBS in America are saying their message has been directed at professionals now and now they're really realising that they need to come to the public and actually educate so that people aren't so judgmental. And their whole idea is to bring the surgery as a more available tool because it works. And look at the statistics on losing weight and keeping it off. And I think it's 0.07% of people who lose the weight naturally and keep it off. So your shakes diet's got a 0.07% chance of working and you look at it down the line. And I think once we have those statistics, there's a real kind of common understanding. There'll be a lot more acceptance. But you're right. I can say I came to this realm with the same understanding was what are they doing and what comes with it? I think there's also not enough education on the nutritional component and the importance of that. So patients come and have the surgery and they're not like, 
it's not really rammed home in some cases that they really do need to keep those appointments and keep going back to seeing their practitioners. It's a lifelong thing that you're managing. It's not just one and done. So you did a great job of also opening that up as well. With the book overall, what was the message you were trying to kind of get across over in an envelope? I think the main thing that there were two things. One is the power of female friendship, which seems to be reoccurring, not intentionally, but I have written, I think that was my fourth book and I'm about to have my seventh published a little bit later, actually early next year. And I keep seeming to go back and back to this theme of the power of true friendship, of what true friends will do for each other. But I think the main thing with The Shape of Us that I wanted people to come away with was the idea that you can be okay being okay in your own skin. So love the skin you're in. If someone who is wanting to lose weight, then that's okay and you're entitled. It's your body and your body is nobody else's business. Mm -hmm. So how you choose to be in your body, first of all, you need to be okay with that. And what anybody else has to say about that, that's not relevant. It's you being happy. So love the skin you're in, I guess, in a nutshell. But I think harping back to what you were just saying before, I think that element, it's such a loaded area where no other chronic illness is treated with shame. Like if you get cancer, nobody shames you for that. If you're a type 2 diabetic, then you might be getting the same sort of shaming because often it's assumed that you've brought that upon yourself, which Mm -hmm. again, we're looking at genetics and we're looking at body chemistry and nowhere else. If you get any other sort of chronic illness, you're not shamed for it. And Mm -hmm. I've heard the same story over and over and over again from women because it was mainly women that I talked to. And it's possible that men are having this same issue, but women seeking help for their health and being blamed for it and not being given options, not being told, hey, this is not your fault. This is your genetic makeup and this is how we can approach and let's work together as a team. It was just, here's a pamphlet on the local weight loss center and really don't eat cake. And if they'd gone for a sore throat or an ingrown toenail, they've got a lecture on their weight, the obesity. And I think what that does, it just shames people and stops them from seeking the care that they need, which then just the cycle starts again. And then when we're shamed and not feeling great about ourselves, often we turn to food. And so I think what you're saying about the psychological care being in partnership with the healthcare is just that's a fantastic step forward and let's hope that going forward that people get the care that they need, whatever that is. So, you know, bariatric surgery is obviously not for everyone that's one of the things that I was trying to show in the, in the book, that it doesn't matter which journey you are on. Even if the journey is, I'm happy the way I am, that is your choice and everyone is different. So um, yeah, it's a actually, great message. Funnily enough, actually at a really massive author event with a very big name author, I was a guest in just a reader going along and I was sitting, I happened to be sitting at a table with a whole heap of very famous authors and I was feeling quite excited but also a bit intimidated. And a woman came to me and afterwards when the speaker was finished and we were sort of milling around and a woman came up to me and she said, oh, excuse me, are you Lisa? And I yes. And she said, oh, can I get a photo with you? And I kind of looked around because I'm thinking there's much more famous people here than me. Why would you want a photo with me? But I said, yes, of course. And then we got her daughter took the photo and then she said to me, I just want you to know that your book changed my life. And then she went on to tell me how after reading it, She'd been tossing up whether to have bariatric surgery or not. She had tried everything else and she was very unhappy. 
And anyway, she went on to have bariatric surgery and lose a substantial amount of weight. And then she was just saying to me, without that book, it helped me to think, yeah, this is really what I want to do. And that's not the purpose of the book is to convince Mm. people to do things. But, and I said to her, oh, wow, that's a lot. And she said, no, no, I was already there. I just needed that. She said, what you did was sort of give me permission to make the choice that I wanted to make. And she said, so then I went ahead and had the bariatric surgery. That's amazing, isn't um, it? That made me feel very good, yes. Yeah, job done. And I think that's right. It's not like you were saying, hey, go down this way, but you were what you offered in the book was that really solid grasp on what it is all about and how it might affect the people around you, you, that sort of stuff, and the place you need to be in to kind of come to that. Where, like you say, you're making the decision for you. I think that's the most important thing with any major change is that until you're doing it for you, generally the success and the longevity of it is not necessarily guaranteed. So if you're doing it because your husband wants you to be slimmer or your whatever, your kids just saying, oh God, I don't want to go out with you because of your weight. I don't know if that's strong enough driver. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is because it's family and children are a really big driver, which is nice. But I think unless they're really reconciled with the fact that it's like, this is for me, because that enables you to deal with people talking about it and people saying their own thing or people not. Some families, it blows my mind. People will have the surgery and they lose all the weight and then they'll turn up for Christmas and no one says a word. There's no talk about don't you look great or have you lost weight? They've lost 50 kilograms and no one's talking about it. And you're like, what is under the carpet? What is the dynamic that you've just set on a spin? Because often those kind of family dynamics are where it shows up the most. It's like you were meant to be the one who was overweight. What are we going to do now that you're not? Like who's going to be that person? Or you were the scapegoat. We could say whatever we wanted to because now you're not. We don't know who to be. So I've done some really interesting exploration of that kind of stuff with relationship. It's mind-blowing. I actually just had someone tell me a very similar story. Someone I know who had bariatric surgery probably 12 months ago now, went out with a group of friends for the first time, hadn't seen her for six months, no one said a word. And I just find that fascinating. I guess, from the research that I've done and the people I've spoken to, you really have to want it for yourself and be okay with the decision that you've made for you because I think you're right. If you make it for other people's pleasure then or under the pressure of other people's expectations, then it's possibly not going to be right for you and you may not be any happier. I think that's the other thing too that I really want to try and get across in the book was that weight loss in itself is not a ticket to happiness, that the women had other underlying issues that needed to be addressed alongside the weight loss and they did that in different ways. So for Mez, for example, her marriage was in trouble, but her marriage was not in trouble because she was overweight. Her husband loved her for who she was. He didn't care whether she was thin or fat. It was her own self-sabotage that was sabotaging their marriage. And until she came to terms with that, the marriage was always going to be in trouble. So I think a lot of people go into bariatric surgery or any form of weight loss. It's just that bariatric surgery actually works, whereas a lot of other weight loss methods don't, not permanently anyway. But people go into that thinking that the weight loss will solve all their problems when, in fact, if you're not addressing the underlying problems that are making you unhappy, whether you're thin or whether you're fat, it's not going to make any difference. Like you have to take that psychological journey and do that work if you're hoping to have a different outcome. And not everyone, like Jules, not everyone in the book, not everyone who is overweight is unhappy. 
Jules was not unhappy. She's perfectly fine the way she was. She just wanted to have a baby. So yeah. I wanted to showcase that too because I think there's a lot of psychoanalysis by <laughs> lay people on why people are fat. It's Sometimes it's just a physical manifestation and people are not unhappy. This is just their body. So I think that I wanted to present sort of the, the spectrum as much as I could of people out there who are living in differently shaped bodies and say, this is okay. It's mm. okay not to be size 10. It's perfectly fine. It's amazing, isn't it? And I think we just see so much now that everything we see that, that we're absorbing is all about how to have bigger lips and how to have this, <laughs> all those sorts of things. 65% of obesity is genetically related if they're uncovering. So it's like if there's anyone in the family or even the extended family who has had obesity, it's there's a 65% chance. It's the same with ADHD, that kind of stuff. There's, they're finding now the genetic links. It's not bad parenting. I love it that science is really bringing that to the fore, that there's a whole lot of understanding and a better way of presenting People behave in different ways because of their genetics and the way their brain works, but they also present in different ways because of their genetics and the way their body works. So just a bit of a broader understanding of that, I think, is amazing. And yeah, when I approached you about the podcast, I was like, how do we talk about the book without giving away the whole story? And I don't think we have because there's so much more that we haven't touched. And I think it's just such a beautiful journey in the way the women came together. And the ending of the book was something I was like, don't read it. Like, I just wanted it to go on forever. It was amazing. How was it received? Like when you released the book, what are people saying about it? It's actually been really well received. I was a little bit worried. I think when you talk about fatness, when you talk about people being fat, and I have identified as a fat person myself at different times in my life. So when you talk about that, people are uncomfortable. And I think I was a little bit worried that people would turn away from the book because of the subject matter or be upset that I actually delved so deeply into it. But the reverse was actually true. I had so many positive reviews. And most common thing was that people would come back and say, thank goodness someone is finally talking about this. Mm. Or I felt like you were totally inside my head. And I think that's because often I write about different types of women. So in The Shape of Us, it was about women with different appearance. And I often now write about women who are older. So the common thing that I get is, thank goodness that someone is talking about this. And I feel as if I've finally been seen because for a lot of, strangely enough, when we're in a bigger body, often we feel like we're invisible. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for older women. They will tell you the same thing. And when you talk about women in their 60s and 70s, they suddenly we become invisible. Nobody yeah. wants to talk to us or serve us in a shop. We're and it's the same for bigger bodied people often feel as if their stories are not being represented. And they're often, when they are seeing themselves on screen or on the page, they're represented in a comedic way. Yeah. And so played for a laugh. And I really didn't want to do that. So the reception, it's been a while. It's an old book now. Mm -hmm. so it was written quite a few years ago, but at the time, the reception was really, really positive which is a relief. I guess the one negative that I did have and which I completely understand is about the cover because the women on the cover are not obese. <laughs> However, as many uh, of your listeners might not know, but the author doesn't actually have any control or not much control over the cover. It depends on the publishing house and it depends on the book and where you are in your publishing journey. So at the time, I was quite a new author, so you don't really get 
much for say. The publisher's job is to sell the book. And yes. basically back then, they might have a different opinion now, but back then they were saying bigger bodies on covers don't sell books and we want to get this book into people's hands. But my concern and the concern of some readers is that if you're writing a book about bigger bodied people, why can't we see ourselves on the cover? And I totally accept that criticism. I will say to those readers that there was other covers put forward to me with even slimmer yeah. <laughs> women on it. And maybe the publisher would make a different decision today because we are talking quite a few years ago. And as I say, it's no point having a book out there that is sell- selling this message if nobody reads it. Yeah. So people also might not be aware, but there's lots of marketing that goes into a book, lots of marketing research. And so the people who make these decisions, it's not just one person, it's a, no. a group decision. They'll look into what covers are selling and what the trends are at the time. And so it was a decision that was made, not with any malice or with any sort of, it wasn't as if the publisher was trying to discriminate against bigger bodied people. They were just saying, look, let's try and get this the message out. Yes, exactly. So, but I do accept that. Yeah, there's a whole movement, not a movement. I won't call it a movement. Health at every size, which is now, it's a great message. I think it's helping people to understand. And it can be misread. Like when I first heard it, health at every size, I was like, well, it's not necessarily true because being obese or having obesity comes with its own set of health issues. So I don't know if we can say we'd be healthy at every size, but it's like we deserve to have good care and health at every size. So it's like they're saying that people approach practitioners eight years later than they should to actually address the fact that they are overweight. Some people are getting overweight coaching, like you say, when they're going in for the common cold and they're not looking for it. So I also see the doctors have kind of a GP's appointment is almost for a health check anyway. Do I bring it up? Is it the GP's role to bring it up? Is it the way they bring it up? It's like all these different things kind of spill into one. But I think there's a better understanding of how to have those conversations and how to not put them in a box, you know? I strongly believe that shaming people for their size and even if it's inadvertent shaming actually leads to detrimental health outcomes. And so I've been aware of the health at any size. I think you probably can call it a movement. I've been aware of that for some time and I follow that movement on Instagram. And I think, and you know, and I can't speak for everybody who contributes to that space, but what I would say is that health at any size is more about people not making assumptions about people because of their size. So you can't and I can't look at someone and determine their health by looking at them. So we can't just look at them and go, okay, that person is bigger and that person is smaller. So that person is, the smaller person is just by virtue of their size going to be healthier because we don't know that. The bigger person, they may be an elite athlete in, they could be a wrestler, they could be a shot putter, they could be actually have quite high level of muscle mass and they may be technically obese, but the thin person may smoke or mm. be mm. taking methamphetamines. Yes. Or who, like we can't yes. use our eyes. Can't to, use your eyes to, to judge. To assess someone's health. And so I think it's about having, as you said before, Jackie, access to good health care and not being cut out of certain types of health care because of your size, just mm. not being told go home and lose weight if you're actually there to for something completely unrelated to weight loss. So, And I think that if people were treated 
And this is not all practitioners, of course. There's a wide spectrum. But I think if people are treated with dignity when they do seek health care, then they are more likely to return to the Correct. practitioner. And then maybe once they're comfortable with that practitioner, may even bring up their weight issues if they have issues with themselves. That's the goal, isn't it? To have a relationship with your medical practitioner where you can be open and honest and you can work together to achieve optimal health. And you're right. There are definitely negative health outcomes for people associated with all chronic diseases, including obesity, but... There's also really negative mental health outcomes which go along with the shaming and discrimination that happen when we don't acknowledge that people can be healthy and bigger. doesn't mean they're maybe at optimal health, but they can definitely have steps. You know, I think one of the things that we do when we sort of shame people about their weight is we prevent them from taking positive steps. Like if people feel like, I can't put on a pair of leggings and go out for a walk because people will laugh at me. If we were in a society where that was encouraged and people were not, nobody was ashamed for the packaging that their body comes in, then we would all be a lot healthier. Well, that's exactly right. I think if you feel comfortable walking down the street and going to do it more often, aren't you, without all the judgment and that whole feeling of being under the microscope. I look at the gym, for instance, it's like walking into a lycra-clad environment where everyone knows what they're doing. It must be incredibly hard for someone to, in their say in their 40s, to say, well, I've never been to the gym before, I'm going to start. Even for myself, I'm going to Melbourne this week and I was looking at places that I might go and exercise around where I'm staying. And some of the class descriptions, I wasn't quite sure of. I was a personal trainer many years ago and I go to the gym all the time. But even for me, I was like, well, I don't know what I'm getting myself into there. How many people will be there? That even came into my mind. And I just can't imagine for someone who's struggling with obesity to think, oh, I'm going to Melbourne this week. I'll just go to the closest gym and just turn up and do my thing. So I see that, like when I see people who are exercising and they're in a bigger body, I'm like, go you, because it's so bloody hard to get over all of those other things and the obstacles that society put in the way for you to get up and go, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to even think about what's going on. It's like being a racehorse, I think, to put your blinkers on and put your tights on and just get out there and live your life. And I think that's the most beautiful thing we see and even new branding that we did from last year now. But we did photo shoots with actual bariatric patients who've been using our products and just to see what they are doing now is just a really... It is a new lease on life and it's amazing. Moving forward, we've got a new book coming out. I know you probably can't even say much about it, but it's January 2023. It's pretty soon. Can you give us a little insight? It's called The One and Only Dolly Jamison and it's like my previous book, The Secret Life of Shirley Sullivan. It's a dual timeline. So it starts in the present day with our main character, Dolly, and she is a homeless woman. She's in her 80s. Actually, she might be 79 at the start of the book. See, I'm bad on those details. I wrote it a while ago now. But she's in her late 70s, let's say, maybe early 80s, and she's she's found herself homeless when she spends her days in the library. The present day is set in London, and she goes every day to the library and annoys the librarians and mostly tolerant of her. But in the library, she meets, the book opens on a day where she meets a middle-aged woman called Jane. And Jane is going through a bit of a time herself. So she's got her own problems. She's at the opposite end of the financial spectrum to Dolly. She's quite a well-off woman, but they're both 
facing guilt and shame really from something that has happened in their past and so we follow their friendship and again it's about female friendship and it's quite an unlikely friendship this elderly homeless woman and this quite well-to-do middle-aged woman but their friendship helps them to face their past and the backstory so there's it's sort of alternate chapters in the present day and then we go right back to what actually starts in the 1940s when Dolly's a child and then quickly moves to the main part of the historical story which is in the 1960s when she was a star in the West End and on Broadway so she's come from this musical theatre being a big star of the stage and then her fall from grace and you find out how that happens and yeah so that's what it's all about and it's out in January. That sounds so good I'm waiting for that one and Shirley the secret life of Shirley Westbrook is her name? Sullivan. (laughs) Sullivan I want to call her Valentine I don't know why. That one we read in book club and I just that's what started me reading all your books and I just found that one the same. It was a beautiful story of friendship and people. It's like I love the way you capture human, just human sentiment and the journey that life can be. It's been such a pleasure talking to you about it all. And, yeah, anyone I talk to who's written a book, I'm like, tell me how you do it. It's just amazing. (laughs) And, yeah, so it's been a pleasure and it's um, I'm so grateful for your time because I know it's limited. And you're teaching people to write as well, is that right? Mm -hmm. I am actually, Jackie, yes. So I have a little mentoring business on the side. It started off during COVID when somebody asked me if I would do it for them and I kind of thought, oh, why not? And because we were all home and and it's just (laughs) kind of like (laughs) snowballed into this big kind of thing now. So, yeah, I mentor and I really get so much out of that because one of the things about teaching other people is that you learn so much yourself. Mm. So I really love it. And I've had some people, in fact, one of the people that I've mentored is going on to have her first book published next year. And I another one got a book published earlier this year. So it's really exciting to be on the ground floor of those, you know, of somebody You're creating else's journey. competition in your own workplace. Oh, you? I don't, I don't care. <laughs> They're amazing authors. I love it's I, some it's amazing always good. Australian authors. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's Thank you. I'm aware of your time, so I'll let you go. But I will definitely be on to that next book and thank you very much again lisa island don't miss it everyone thank you thanks for listening and just before you go we would love to hear your feedback so please give us a rating and review for other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration come and drop into our facebook community at bn bariatric if you've enjoyed our podcast we hope you will share on your facebook or instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode